Good morning. I'd like to welcome you to our August 2nd worship service. Our call to worship this morning is from Matthew chapter 7. It's Jesus' words to us about the wisdom or the folly of listening to him. Therefore, everyone who hears these words of mine and puts them into practice is like a wise man who built his house on the rock and the rain came down and the streams rose and the winds blew and beat against the house. Yet it did not fall because it had its foundation on the rock. But everyone who hears these words of mine and does not put them into practice is like a foolish man who built his house on sand. The rain came down, the streams rose, and the winds blew and beat against that house, and it fell with a great crash. May God make us wise in how we hear his word. Let us worship God. This morning, as we turn to God's Word, we're going to be looking at the first letter of John. We're in the second chapter, and we're only dealing with a few verses, the 15th through the 17th verse. And in chapter 2, as John has been writing this letter, he's been reminding the people that he's writing to of the, the importance of loving God and walking in the light of God. And he has gone to great lengths to explain that if we claim to know God but walk in darkness, meaning continue in our sins, uh, we are deceiving ourselves. And yet he goes on and addresses those very factors that can hinder the Christian life. That is our struggle with keeping in the light of God, walking with Christ. And so as we continue in this series, How Do I Know I'm a Christian? We found out so far that the scriptures teach us that to know God is the only way to do so is through Jesus Christ, his son. And in light of that, the spirit comes into our lives so that we might put off the old self, the old way of living, and live a new way, that is that way of walking with God day by day. And so it's a relationship that we're in now, not a, not a perfunctory ritual of religion, but a relationship with God where we are now uh, his children, called children of God. And so as we, we've dealt with the second chapter so far, he writes to us about a new command that's not new, it's an old one. It is to love the Lord your God with all your heart, your mind, your soul, your strength, and your neighbor as yourself. And he goes on to say that the one who hates his brother is not walking in the light, because to walk in the light means to love in the way that God loves, unconditionally. And we've learned how impossible that is for us without Christ's help, without abiding in Christ. And so John this morning continues this letter in giving us the other end of the stick, and that is he warns us about replacing our love for God with something else. I begin with verse 15, and I invite you now to hear the word of God. Do not love the world or anything in the world. For if anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. For everything in the world, the craving of sinful man, the lust of the eyes, the boasting of what he has and does, comes not from the Father, but from the world. So the world and its desires pass away. But the man who does the will of God lives forever. This is the word of God. Let's pray. Father, as we think about living in the world and we remember the words that Jesus said, that we are in the world but not of it, 
We thank you for these short passages that teach us indeed what it means to love you as opposed to loving the world. And so as we study your word, show us where it is that we compromise in our love for you. Show us, God, how you have provided ways in which we can grow in that love of Christ. So that in the days that we live, we would not we would not be embarrassed or shamed when we say we love the Lord, the God who is almighty. And we ask it and we pray it in Christ's name. Amen. We were coming down the interstate this past week and I noticed uh, miles ahead there were signs that were giving us indication of what we were to expect as we were driving down the road. They were kind of square signs turned into a side and they were orange with black lettering and they had the sign of warning, traffic patterns changing. So as I thought about that sign, I thought about how John's letter this morning is giving you the same kind of warning as a believer in Christ. You see, now that you are in Christ and you're walking in the light and growing in your faith in God, there is a, an idea in our world that somehow if I trust in Jesus, then my life will be perfect. I won't ever have to worry about money or the future or the past or my children or even my dog or my cat. The truth is, if you're going to follow Christ and you're going to follow him sincerely and wholeheartedly with all of the love you have, you're going to find that there are times where you are tempted to compromise on that love of God. As John has taught us in the first part of this chapter 2, that the command to love God is not a new commandment, but it is an old one. It is in the Old Testament and it is repeated in numerous times but begins in Deuteronomy chapter 6 where Israel was told to love the Lord their God with all their heart soul mind and strength so are you you're to do that every day but if you have endeavored to live with that kind of motivation you have undoubtedly like me found times of great great trouble and feelings of incompleteness of, a, of an inability to accomplish what God is asking us to do. And so in light of that, John is concerned with the people he's writing to because there is a teaching that is being promulgated in the church that would allow them to think of living life in the light of the gospel that indeed does not honor the gospel. And he begins with that by saying, do not love the world. Immediately when you hear those words, you begin to think, well, wait a minute. Didn't Jesus say in chapter 3 of John's gospel that God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, that whosoever believeth in him would not perish but have everlasting life? And so God loved the world. Doesn't he expect us to as well? And, of course, the obvious answer is yes, of course he does. But the warning John is writing about this morning is not a warning that we should not love people in the world. The warning is that we do not love the way the world is, the system, the way in which our lives were before we came into the light of Christ. In other words, the way we used to live when we lived in the darkness of our sins, when we had no love for God or His Son, nor desired to be led by the Holy Spirit, 
And so the warning that he's given, please notice, first of all, it's a warning to those who were loyal members of the church. He's not talking about the people who are on the peripheral, on the edge of the faith. He's talking about people who are walking in the light of Christ, who have come to know the forgiveness of their sins, the security of their salvation, that in Christ alone they have now have have a relationship with the Father that cannot be taken away. It is secured for them in heaven. Peter writes and says, it's like a treasure that nothing can be stolen from, that moth can't eat, and it's reserved, it's preserved by God in heaven for us. Well, if it's preserved in heaven, this relationship with God, then why do we need the warning? Because you and I both realize that the warnings that are given are there to help us Stay in the light. Keep on the road. Not have an accident. And so when John is writing to this, he's, he's writing to this whole concept that we are not to love the world because first of all, if you noticed in verse 15, that if anyone loves the world, the way the world works, the way the system of our world is that is under the dominion of sin, that we used to be a part of, if we still love that way of life, if we still desire it, if we still crave it and seek it and give ourselves to it, then the love of the Father is not in us. It's harsh to hear those words. If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. And yet, because we are born of God and by his Spirit, given this new life that is in Jesus Christ, the eternal one, we really are born into a life where we are very much aware of God's calling on our lives to love him, but the barriers that are existing, not only in the world, but in our hearts that can lead us down paths of deception and far from the will of God. When John is writing this letter, there was a, a teaching in that day that you can still discern that is alive in the church today. It was a called Gnosticism. It was a, a belief that we come to a knowledge of God and that knowledge is such a revelation that it is a total experience from the spiritual realm that, that enlightens us and opens us to this truth that God is here and with us and that spirit and God is true and pure and right, but the problem is our flesh, that our flesh is wicked and evil, and that God never intended it to be this way. And so the Gnostic believed that the, the spark of the divine came into the world and landed on the earth and was encapsulated in this material, fleshly capsule that we, we now call our bodies. And and even more, now that Christ has come and shed his light, he's come to reveal to us that everything that is spiritual is good and pure and right, and everything that is fleshly is evil. And so the Gnostic believed that because of that, the only way to live was to live without care for the body, to be redeemed, to be under the control of Christ. The Gnostic in his daily life believed that he was right with God because of the spirit that had been given enlightenment, knowledge to him about God, and that what he did in the body didn't matter. Therefore, he could do whatever he wanted to with his body because his spirit now was in contact with God. 
And there would be one day when then the end would come and his spirit would be reabsorbed into God's presence and this flesh would fall away. And he would finally be separated from the sinfulness of the world. Well, that kind of teaching is a betrayal of the gospel and of the creation that God has created. You see, when God created the world, he said it is good. Six days of creation and the words are repeated over and over and over. This is good. And so when God created a man and a woman, he created them as spiritual beings with bodies and both were in God's design good. We know that that was corrupted with the fall. When Adam and Eve disobeyed God, they were plunged into the state of sin. The dominion of evil came upon their lives in such ways that they could not recapture their relationship with God based upon their activities any longer. There was nothing they could do to, to stop the separation that now existed between them and God because of their sins. And because they sinned, that sinful nature was passed down to all of us in such a way that we who were once in darkness are very much aware of the sins of our lives, of how we fall short and how we didn't love God and didn't pursue God and didn't desire God. But now that we have come to know the gospel and what Christ has done on the cross for us, taking the iniquity that we deserved for our sins and putting them upon his own body on the tree and paying their penalty in full, God has now allowed us through that great mercy of the cross into a new relationship, a living relationship with him that not just includes our spirits, it includes our bodies. And therefore we are called to be holy as he is holy through the grace of Jesus Christ, through the mercies and the power of the spirit. And so Paul's, John's warning to us is do not love the world. Do not go back to the kind of life where you lived in such a way that you pursued the appetites or the desires of the world in opposition to what God has created and the definition of what that means to live under his creation and his reign. To not love the world is to not love the source of opposition that is in this life to God. It is a resistance to the temptation of sin. He says not only that we're not to love the world, to go back to the way we lived when we lived in darkness. He goes on to say that we're do, we are not to love what comes from the world. And here is where we find distinctly the difference between living in the darkness of the world and living in the light if you notice, it's in verse 16. He says, for everything in the world, the cravings of sinful man, the lust of the eyes, the boasting of what he has or does, comes not from the Father, but from the world. Well, what does he mean by this? Well, it's almost like a triad of the description of the category of sin that's in the human heart. He first lists the lust of the flesh. Well, what is that? Well, it's the source of sensual desire. And it's a twisting of what God had created. In other words, God created Adam and Eve. He created all of us as human beings to be sensual, to enjoy our sensuality, our scent, our eyes, our ears, our taste, the physical pleasure that comes with touch. These are things that God has designed and he said they are good. But because of sin, we 
We take what God has created as good and we use it in unholy, ungodly ways. And so in the world that John is writing to, the Romans were incredibly sensuous people and they pursued their sensual pleasures to an exclusion of any moral or morality. In fact, they lived very immoral lives. And John is saying that that is what we are not to love. We are not to love the immorality. We are not to love pleasure to the point that we pursue it and it causes us to violate God's word and his laws. When you begin to think of this, we think of sexual immorality as something that is just common. And there are no morals in our day. And so for the Christian in the year 2020, the advent of pornography and the internet, the, the overwhelming trafficking of sex that is happening even in Charlotte, North Carolina, all of this is a result of not the light of God, it's the result of the darkness of the world. And John is writing saying, don't love that. Because it is an opposition to God. It's not that our flesh is evil as the Gnostic would say, but that our flesh was created by God for a more holy, more pure, more joyous expression. In fact, if, if you live in the darkness of your mind, if you pursue that type of sensual life, you're not elevating sexuality, you're devolving it into something God never meant it to be. John says, therefore, as Christians, we who were once practicing all kinds of sensuality that led us away from God, because we are now in the light of God, we are to come confessing these sins to God in such manner that we are relying upon God to deliver us from its power. I don't know if you've thought about that this week. You turn on the TV, it's all over. There's not a program you can watch where it doesn't tempt you to think in sex or sensual ways that are in opposition to the holiness of God. You have no hope except that you come to Christ whenever the darkness creeps in. He goes on to say the lust of the eyes. Well, what does he mean by that? Well, we understand the lust of the eyes being when you see something and you want it. And it speaks of greed. Greed is one of those sins as Christians we never really want to talk about because it's one of the white kind of sins that we look at and kind of give a nod to. It is that kind of a arousal in our hearts where we desire things when we see them and it doesn't matter whether we have them as our own possession if they belong to someone else or even if they are not ours to obtain, we somehow excuse those kinds of, of barriers and allow ourselves to indulge in things in amazing ways. The fact that we're seeing marriage become a, a, a less and less important institution in our culture is, is an indication of the greed of our hearts. Well, what do I mean by that? Well, God says it's, it's Wonderful to want to be married, to have a, a family, to, to understand and to know someone intimately in such 
grandiose way, but it is completely a violation of God's purpose in our creation that we would desire someone else's spouse. When you take that to its logical extent, if you're single, what that means is if you're, if you're acting like you are married to someone when you're not, you're living out a life of greed. You're greedy for sensual pleasure, and you're doing it in such a way that you're not even paying attention to what God has said concerning the warnings that are there before you of how it will destroy your life. It will cause you to have less of an inclination to enjoy the rewards that God intended from the beginning. Or when you see someone else who's driving and living in a house maybe that, that is wonderful or driving a car that is just extremely expensive and you become overwhelmed with that and you think, well, if I just have the house like that or a car like that, then I'll have the life that I want. And so you pursue it and you, you throw yourself into it because of the lust of your eyes. You, you desire it to the point where you no longer see God's or seek God's providential care of your life for what you have, you become unsatisfied and seek beyond what God has provided at the moment and you sacrifice your relationships with your spouse or your children or your neighboring families or even your neighbors themselves and you do so so that you cheat or take advantage of those who are weak in such measure that your greed is satisfied. This is beyond what God has intended for us as we walk in the light. When we think about living with the passion of the lust of our eyes, we are thinking about someone who is captivated by outward visible splendor to the exclusion of loving God. And then the third is the pride of life, and it deals with really the possessions of life, you could say. It's those moments where we might be tempted to boast or in arrogance brag on what we have obtained and what we own and how important we are because of those things that we possess. And so we begin to look at other people who don't have the things we have or enjoy the, the perks that we enjoy and we begin to think of them as inferior or somehow less than we are. And in that way we malign the image of God in them and we begin to walk in the darkness of our hearts in such ways that we judge others by the externals. And in so living we... We creep back into the darkness of the world and we begin to love the world once again because we see ourselves as important or find our significance in what we own or possess or where we live or what we drive. And that is not to say that having possessions is evil. That's not it. It's when we make those possessions the measure of our value or anyone else's value. This is the darkness that John is writing us to resist. And he says, listen, my friends, this morning, do not love the world. Do not love what comes from the world. He says that to faithful, Christ-abiding believers. Which leads really to the obvious question this morning. Am I being tempted to compromise in my love of God? And 
how I live in my body, the practices that I perform, the activities I live by? Do I allow what I see to captivate me, that it displaces my love for God? Do I live with such pride in my own accomplishments that I fail to recognize how God is the one who has given me opportunity and in humble submission acknowledge Him as the Lord of life? It's in verse 17 that John drives home the point and the warning. The world and its desires are passing away. You hitch your wagon to those things. It won't last. It will never satisfy. It cannot deliver. It will not resolve. The aches of your heart the desire for love, the significance of life. He reminds those who would hear his word, that is the word of God, to love the Lord your God with all your heart, your mind, your soul, your strength, that whoever does the will of God lives forever. Well, what is the will of God? Well, if you go to John's gospel, you find these words, this is the will of God you know the Father and the one that he has sent. What is it that's keeping you from knowing God this week? What darkness is John warning you of? And what glory God has in revealing it to you so that you will be saved by his grace? What a God we have who so loves you that he warns you now. Love him. Let us pray. Our Father, help us open our eyes to see, our ears to hear, our mouths to speak, that which is pleasing and acceptable to you. We are helpless and hopeless without Christ. And we thank you that we have now the one who gave himself for us. For you have given us eternal life through him. We ask and we pray this in Jesus' name. And the people of God said together, Amen.
falling and to present you before his glorious presence without fault and with great joy. To the only God our Savior be glory, majesty, power, authority through Jesus Christ our Lord, both now and forever. In the name of God the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen.